Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Started with our fun Christmas tradition of talking about all five of the games today, even though they're not all great games. I think we've seen two already here. We're recording this in between, at least this first part, in between Warriors Suns and Nets Lakers. Let's talk about this Warriors Suns game, though. You thought with Phoenix getting back within two, Steph Curry coming back on the floor, under three minutes remaining, the Suns with their crazy net rating in the clutch, which is 49 coming in. Warriors have gotten better in the clutch recently. They had a nice clutch win against Memphis. They have a plus 16 net rating in the clutch after starting off the year poorly you thought though it was advantage Suns down the end and instead one Otto Porter went absolutely wild in the fourth quarter yeah, he did. From the And from the 209 mark to the 107 mark, the only player who scored on either team was Otto Porter Jr. He made a jumper kind of off of a loose play. Then he made a step back and then he hit the three that basically iced the game, put the Warriors up nine with a minute seven to go. And yes, some of that is the attention drawn by Steph Curry. And you have to concede something in, in all forms. And I thought the Suns did a really nice job in a lot of circumstances. But Porter did that. And it's a reminder of how important it is for the Warriors to have have those ancillary players not only able to make those shots, but willing to take those shots that are going to be open within the flow of their offense. Yeah, as much as Curry does draw the defense, all of those Porter shots were hard shots. Yes. The, the key ones that he hit when he had 10 points down the end. First, he hits a three off the pick and roll. They ran the play for him when they tried to steal another three minutes of rest for Steph, which worked out. Uh, that was a huge shot to put him up eight and prevent it. The Suns would have led if he doesn't make that. But that's like off the dribble pick and roll. They ran the play for him. Then he had this impossible footwork along the baseline where Gary Payton flew this through this flare pass to him from the right side to the left side not anywhere you would normally expect to be getting the ball but just stepping back fading back from long two along the baseline on a pass that was lobbed from the other side and then hits a step back going to his right again on a one-on-one move and then they run the play for him that iced it and put him up nine for him to come off a screen on the weak side and then another very difficult shot fading to his right and I mean he, he basically did a Clay Thompson impression in this game he did and Porter's overall line for the contest 19 points, six rebounds, three assists, eight of 13 from the field, three of seven, and notably plus 16 in the contest. And I thought he did a really nice job. And and for me, like the, the bigger part of this kind of thinking in the macro perspective, as I'm wont to do. I'm so thrilled that the NBA showcased this game on Christmas because not only are these two extremely talented teams, even with some some absences, that yeah. play... The, these are the two best watches in the NBA and the exactly. two teams that we ranked as the two top passing teams and it's, they're really just enjoyable to watch both. 
they are. And and when you add in one of my other favorite elements of this game, this was true the other time that they faced off so far this year, is that having division opponents in this sort of a showcase makes it even better because these teams are intelligent on both ends of the floor and they know each other extremely well. Yeah. So there are a couple of times that Phoenix... The Warriors run these actions that can confound a lot of teams. And a lot of times I, I like to think of it as like, it's not a single read play, but there's a specific moment where you're going to do one thing. Like if you're covered, you're going to pass it to the corner. Mikhail Bridges or Booker had a couple of nice plays like this. CP, when he's the guy in the, when he's the guy doing that, they can jump that passing route. Cause they're like, oh, this guy can only do one thing. And it's that, that can only really happen when you have experience dealing with an opponent. And I mean, you got to see some really fun matchups as well. Like when Draymond was guarding Chris Paul, there was a stretch where it was one where he he went under on the screen because he was pretty sure Chris Paul wasn't going to do a step back kind of off the dribble pull up and he didn't Chris Paul when it was going to go into a drive instead and Draymond he's not worried about being caught flat footed so those sorts of nuances that these love that these teams can do against each other was an absolute delight yeah and this is the third time these juggernauts have played each other this month Oh, that's the right. First time, Third time. Yeah, the the first time Golden State lost, uh, of course, despite Devin Booker missing most of that game, they got smoked in clutch time. Then Golden State blew them out in San Francisco a couple days later without Booker. But now Booker is back. Didn't really put too much of his imprint on this game. I ended up going five out of 19. Missed some pretty makeable shots, I thought. But Golden State defended him well, played 40 minutes. CP played 38 as well. Like Phoenix, they've really wanted all of these games. They CP played 39 minutes in the first game at home as well. I think the Suns, particularly with their home court advantage, really want to have that in the playoffs against Golden State. And you know, this is a game the Suns probably should have won, given who was available and who was not available for the Warriors but really a, a pretty impressive win um you know we'll have some smaller notes here but just any major thoughts about how this game affects your understanding of these two teams against one another I'm very interested in how some of these support players who are going to have more they're going to have more on their shoulders because the Suns and Warriors at times each do a, a really aggressive job making sure the stars aren't going to beat them of how those guys are going to do there was a big stretch in the third quarter when Cam Johnson was getting was getting shots. He got an and one. He got a three. I think he had like seven points in about two and a half minutes or something like that. Auto Porters were a little bit different as you went through in the beginning. But whether it's those guys, Kevon Looney, or oh, that's a lot of what Mikhail Bridges does, whether they can not only just take those open shots when they're available, but continue to wield that advantage. So one of the elements of Mikhail Bridges' game that I've really enjoyed over the last couple of years is maybe they're closing out hard on you. Okay, I can do a couple of dribbles and maybe get into like a shot around the basket or draw a second defender, draw draw somebody new and make a pass. And those players aren't going to be tasked very often with creating the advantage. And both of these teams are blessed with a lot of talented players who could do that or a scheme in the Warriors case that sometimes generates it themselves. So can the Bridges and the Johnsons and the Loonies of the world take advantage and create new advantages when they're available? Yeah, the, the role players certainly played a big difference here. And we, we could talk also just about some of the aspects of this game specifically, which may or may not carry over to future matchups. I mean, the biggest thing was the Steph Curry matchup against the Suns defense, where he was held to a ridiculously terrible game. I think it was four out of 21 in the first matchup in Phoenix. Mikhail Bridges really hounded him into a different 
difficult night. And they also did a great job of topsiding Curry off the ball so he couldn't come off of screens. And then when they would try to throw backdoor passes, the Suns were so long, had such good anticipation that it wasn't working. So I thought the Warriors over the last couple of games have made some very nice adjustments to get Curry going. I thought Curry, even though he had 33 points, 10 of 27 was plus 24 in this game. He was only five out of 16 from three. And I thought he maybe got to the foul line a little bit more than he deserved on some plays early that were just bad fouls by the Suns that they could clean up. But also I thought Curry got a number of open looks that they would be pretty happy with even that that he was missing uh, to only go five of 16 from downtown. So here's what they did to free Curry a little bit more. Number one was they went after Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder was guarding Draymond Green and the Warriors were extremely comfortable with that matchup and they wanted to get Crowder switched on to Curry. Uh, Curry, basically anytime he was matched up with Crowder, beat him. He beat him three times in this game for back cuts. Crowder fouled him all three times and somebody enabled that as well that that we can get to. And then when he got one-on-one against Crowder, he was also able to get a couple of pretty good looks. Did the same against uh, Cam Johnson, uh, who he seemed to feel relatively comfortable against as well. But just, and obviously anytime he's going to try Bridges one-on-one, he's not even going to be able to get a shot off. Like Bridges is just too good and too long for that. So they did a good job of finding the weaker links that Curry could attack uh, and feel free to break in here. no, no, I, I'm, I'm in full agreement. Yeah, the, the other thing that I thought they did a really nice job, I mentioned the backdoor cuts, is they got the ball lower on the floor to set up yes. some of Curry's backdoor cuts. And well, be, yeah, go ahead. Well, and a good a good kind of way of summarizing that is that even though the Warriors had some bad turnovers in the game, like they have this, there was one where Curry like tried to throw behind the back pass to Draymond Green. Overall, the Warriors weren't throwing some of those ridiculous ones. And I think part of it is just that they yeah. were having the ball at a different part of the floor. Yeah, only nine. Nine turnovers for Golden State, and they are really, really difficult to beat if you're not forcing that many turnovers. Uh, Suns only had five steals. That's totally manageable for the Warriors. It's when they have over 15 turnovers and give up over 10 steals, and then you can get out in transition and beat their half-court defense down the floor. That's when Golden State is going to struggle. So getting the ball lower on the floor, generally out of the post or along the baseline, then if you, the top siding of Curry, that doesn't work because now Curry has inside position. The ball is also below Curry, close to the basket, and you've got a shorter pass with a better angle to set up that back door. In the first game, they really were trying to do a lot more of Steph trying to pop out from under the basket to the wing. You can top side there, and the Suns are just too long and too good a help to complete a backdoor pass to Curry from all the way up top under the basket under most circumstances. So they changed the angle of that. I thought they really had, had a much better job of attacking the Suns and Curry. The plus 24, the ESPN had the stat that the Warriors shot 8 out of 10 out of Curry double teams. The overall Warriors offense looked much better. I think the Suns defense was better in the second half. And, you know, there was some crazy shot making from the likes of Porter down the end in that 32 point fourth quarter. But the first quarter, for example, Golden State scored 20 points on their first 10 possessions and had a really nice first quarter while only going two out of seven from three in that quarter because they're getting to the rim, GP2, Looney, all, all these guys were getting like back doors, quick post-ups against smaller players, etc. off the Curry gravity. So that was a great indication of the health of Golden State's offense in this well, yeah, game and overall and particularly when Curry was on the floor. Some- Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 
2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique mattresses everybody sleeps differently and helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where, do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us 
thing you and I look to a lot in terms of like the health, the health of your offense, and this can also be reliable rim protection, is your success rate in the restricted area, but also the proportion of shots in the restricted area versus like, let's say, from floater range. The Warriors were 21 of 26 in the restricted area in this game. That is really, really high. That's over that's over 80 percent. And they only took nine floaters. So that means that when they were getting to the basket, they were getting all the way there. They were making most of the finishes. And that wasn't like, oh, they were DeAndre and sucked and they were doing that. It was just sometimes he wasn't out there. He was guarding somebody else. And sometimes it was that the centers weren't providing as much resistance and they didn't have to settle for shots from floater range. And the Warriors, sometimes you can have that happen, but you're not committing fouls. The Warriors took 21 free throws and made 18 of those. Curry actually missed one. He's missed a couple of free throws recently. And then Kaminga had a couple and Bielitsa got yeah, to the I line. I thought that was probably the number one thing that Phoenix could have cleaned up was some of their fouling. Just just some bad yes. fouls in, in, in spots that just did not need to be committed. And that's another point of this game is that partially due to the Warriors having a number of players out. I mean, we know we know Clay Thompson, but then Jordan Poole, Damian Lee, Moses Moody, Andrew Wiggins, all in the protocols. That meant, and then Wiseman was out, but though his place in this is different, that meant that Steve Kerr was going to have to try some different players. And we know how talented the Suns are. And so you're putting some players into the crucible. And once Connell Anderson played 18 minutes, Quindary Weatherspoon played 14 minutes. I thought he actually gave them gave them some stuff, a couple of nice on-ball I've always possessions. liked Weatherspoon's defense. You just wonder, his shooting is why he, because he was on a two, two-year two-way with the Spurs and then didn't get anything, got it brought into the Warriors system. Uh, they had him in camp briefly but yeah he can absolutely defend he had one great strip on on Devin Booker and had a couple of nice cuts he was three of three for, from the field uh yeah, did have and- four fouls but you know if him and Chioza together in the backcourt or uh considering this is his first game with the team you got to feel pretty happy with how well he played for sure and then I thought Shamit had a couple he had a couple of shots also some defensive limitations as we've seen for Shamit but to me the most prominent player in this crucible was Jonathan Kaminga I mean Kaminga who is has been largely out of the rotation until the Warriors got shorthanded because he's, you know, he's still young, he's still 19 and was the seventh overall pick. And he's, you know, uh, I think Doris Burke referred to it as the Warriors kind of trying to trying to play like play both sides. I can't remember the exact term that she used. It was it was it was, it was interesting. Thread the term, needle. Thread the needle. Said, That's it. Yeah. And, you know, so the idea with Kaminga and, and Wiseman and Moody is is to have them maybe help now, but be ready there and still be good enough. And I, I thought Kaminga really showed something. There were times when he guarded Chris Paul that it that it didn't work super well there was one I think it was at the end of the third quarter when CP roasted him and got a got a clean look and I think it was the three and, and made a shot the end but of the end of the uh second end of the half yeah 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 and but overall I thought Kuminga held his own he had that really nice finish in the fourth quarter and also drew a flagrant foul on a totally unnecessary swing from former warrior JaVale McGee and the basic question here is not what was his plus minus, what was that player's, you know, what field goal percentage did they turn the ball over? It's are they holding their own? Are you noticing their mistakes? Are you seeing them thrive? And I thought Kaminga did a really good job. And the number one thing for him is his jumper is looking very good lately. He had a couple of threes against Memphis. I actually recorded on that game with Slater on his pod if you're interested in on those some more thoughts on that. But yeah, I mean, for him to go be plus five, 12 points, doing it on only six shooting possessions including because he had the flagrant foul as well five of six 
from the foul line where he's struggled at times too and yeah i mean to guard chris paul yeah he got that ridiculous rip move foul uh 75 feet from the basket in the first quarter but other than that he did okay there and you know only had a couple of bonehead plays which given some of the stuff he can do he went to almost had a ridiculous dunk on landry shamit which was a foul and then had a, another spectacular reverse and hit a couple of jumpers one got wiped off by a, a foul on weatherspoon going for an offensive board so yeah he just continues to show some flashes and just to get away with playing a 19 year old 21 minutes in this game and not have him kill you against this level of competition is pretty good and then gary payton the second continues to be really really good for this team 14 points six of nine he's hitting his three ball this is the second game in a row now that he's hit multiple three-pointers he was two for four i don't know how the hell he's doing it because when i watch him in warm-ups he it he's not making he's making more shots in the game than he is in warm-ups it seems like and i don't know how long this can continue but he played great defense on devin booker was a big part of his five for 19 game he gets them out in transition he's a great cutter they've also started to because he's always going to be the guy that the other team hides their little point guard on so he's started to just get a couple of little like quick post duck-ins or transition duck-ins that draymond's finding him on every game and you know he's you think man having this point guard who can't shoot out there playing him next to stuff that how well can that work but it's actually has worked really good because of his uh, overall activity level on the offensive end and then defensively he's you know probably an all defense level of guard probably won't get votes there because he doesn't play enough minutes but um you know he is a really really good defensive guard he is um and overall uh this this will probably come up in a 15 and 60 at some point we'll see if the sample size goes but peyton so far for the year shooting 41 percent on on threes and it's hard because gary peyton has played so few nba games in each given season like this is he's already at the most minutes played that he's ever had in an nba season but 41 percent and so and with when peyton doesn't take a lot of twos outside of around the basket he's at 77 percent there so 71 percent true shooting on 16 usage like it i, I want to see how it persists how it continues and somebody else that i thought was going to and was a, a, an important factor in this game for phoenix is deandre ayton ayton has to do a couple of different things out there one is capably defend whoever he needs to defend within their scheme and i thought there overall i thought he did a reasonably good job also yeah. taking advantage when the advantage is there so that's you know if you can get a post up get a seal to draw the attention to maybe get to the free throw line ideally but get get some shots i thought he did reasonably well there and then ideally the other one would be getting back contesting the rim being the last line of defense and that depends on what scheme you're running so i i thought that ayton to my eye he did pretty well overall and yeah he outscored by 11 points in his minutes but they were also facing some of the best lineups when he was out there yeah you know i think ayton has gotten a pretty good handle on when he needs to get out on the floor when they're screening for curry and a, a lot of they didn't leave him out on an island against curry as much they were going more towards the switch double which the warriors were able to beat pretty consistently but there weren't these plays where steph was coming off a screen by looney or whoever ayton was guarding and ayton was just nailed to the paint and steph was getting jumpers like he, he's doing a good job stepping out. He's got pretty good mobility. He was not able to be as much of a force at the rim in this game, in part because, again, the, the Steph factor and just having to be more aware and on the floor, I, sh I should say, a force at the rim defensively. But I'm glad you brought him up because I really think that what the Phoenix centers are able to do is a bellwether, but 
against the Warriors, but probably against all teams to, that, and they really were killing the Warriors in the first half. The At yes. one point, and it was this was mostly the centers, the Suns had 14 second chance points on six offensive rebounds, and they were shooting well overall too, and it ended up with 35% offensive rebounds for the half, and then every single time, basically, they were either getting a layup, and there was one time they kicked it out for a Bridges corner three. So they were killing them in the first half. That's something that the Warriors were able to clean up in the second half. And then just as you mentioned, those quick plays where he's able to get inside position here, JaVale, and they'll lob it up to him or just get him a deep steal. Aiton's hook shot touch is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, he is certainly at best a mechanical post player in terms of his movement. He basically has two moves that he does. He's got the hook shot or he's got the quick turn over the right shoulder, fade away, basically as soon as he catches the ball. And, you know, he doesn't have the knack for drawing fouls. We, we talked about that a million times. But, man, the guy, his touch on it, hook shot, is just incredible. And it helps that a lot of times he's able to get pretty deep position. But even if he's, like, you know, right on the lane line or even a step outside of there, it is that is just a very difficult shot to stop, you know, as long as he's just has caught the ball there already in good position maybe against a weaker defender off switch but the next thing i want to talk about just in the overall matchup between the teams is the way that the warriors defend chris paul what did you see there because i think that's that's a huge factor in how these matchups are going to continue to be decided it is a huge factor and i think the warriors have a better understanding than most about what chris paul intends to do that you know in some ways there are some parallels to draymond green even though paul can yeah. shoot that mid range shot where it's like okay if he's getting all the towards the basket he's probably not going to take that shot though it is worth noting chris paul credited with with three attempts in the restricted area i think at least one of those was in transition and um and makes and i thought they did a nice job i, I talked about that play earlier when draymond was on him and kaminga had had the assignment more than draymond did of this is the th- this is not the three that chris paul is going to take you know that one kind of off the dribble he's, he's trying to get in or, or try to find Aiton on that play so yeah i, I thought the execution there understanding that if you that sending an extra guy can sometimes create big problems because Chris Paul is always going to find the open sun. So that can be a big problem, too. I thought they did a nice job staying home a lot of times in those circumstances. Yeah, the Draymond on CP thing, Chris does not feel like he can attack Draymond one on one. He might have a little bit more confidence against Looney. The Warriors did kind of try to stay out of that matchup, but it was very interesting that a lot of times, you know, you have Draymond on CP and then Looney stepping out in a, generally a more aggressive pick and roll coverage, although. They really change it up uh, possession by possession a lot of the time and not letting Chris get comfortable and just trust everyone to kind of figure it out in depending on what they're doing because everyone else is so smart on this team. But to have Chris double teamed out at the point of attack, he usually makes pretty good decisions, but that's that type of length with both Draymond and Looney out there. Uh, They do have the option to late switch and it's not the end of the world if they get Looney on Paul, though Paul has had some decent success against him. And But essentially the decision was, and then they put Kaminga on him, who also had size, but the decision was they are not going to let Chris Paul go against any kind of conventional drop coverage under almost any circumstance they're either going to switch they're going to put two on him they're not going to let him dribble around get comfortable get to that right elbow jumper like that's just not something that they are going to let him do and they paid the price on that some early with what the sun centers were able to do gave giving up some offensive rebounds giving up some threes the the suns didn't shoot it terribly from three but they definitely had some chances to shoot better than they did and you know paul did have 
some a couple of great runs he had the two rip move fouls right at the end of the first which monty was it was really smart for monty to put him back in right then with the warriors in the bonus knowing that he was going to draw one of those um and but other than that he wasn't able to do too much as a scorer and just wasn't able to work in that conventional pick and roll so they kept him uncomfortable enough and then trusted themselves to be able to fly around with great intelligence beyond the play which largely they were able to do although again i think phoenix would like back a few of those threes that they missed but they only gave up 33s overall that's not that's not awful and also i mean this is the other thing i would point to as well now the suns did get some offense rebounds but for a team that prides itself on its passing only 20 assists on 40 made field goals whereas the warriors had 28 assists on 42 made field goals this, these are the two teams that have basically uh, along with the spurs the highest percentage of assisted buckets the only other thing i want to say and this is not as relevant for these teams moving forward is that because of some of the absences the warriors needed some minutes from chris chioza and especially in the first half he was just did not really producing much there couldn't take couldn't take the shots the suns were conceding didn't really have passes there to make and phoenix is a really good defensive team so the that stretch and the warriors are always going to be worse when steph curry's off the floor but it didn't quite work the expectation though is that chioza is not going to be doing those minutes in the postseason so it is a part of the story of this game but it in all likelihood is not a part of the story of a potential playoff series between these two teams which yes please i empty out the notebook here the rip move has got to go particularly or at because... least part of it like i i, I think yeah. i think there are times that maybe like, but maybe then you have to be more discretionary but i'm not as well, aggressive well about he it did either. paul does a rip move on kuminga 75 feet from yeah, the basket that one kuminga wasn't even wasn't even touching him right it's one thing if you've actually got your hand on the guy that's the way but, durant does it yeah, typically yeah but the and that's usually how it is with paul too but again what is the point of something being a foul the point of something being a foul is that if you are making a legitimate move to try and score that this is contact that is preventing you from doing that illegally and these rip moves are not like that actually bob vulgaris he says the opposite he thinks that it should be a foul and that more teams should coach it and i completely agree with him on that they absolutely should coach it as long as it's going to be a foul but it's definitely a non-basketball move and my thought is hey if the guy's crowding you great go buy him that's that's the the counter to them playing too close to you is to dribble past him and and then if in the course of trying to dribble past him that hand contact is going to knock you off balance or, or is there's going to be a legal contact there then yeah sure absolutely make that a foul but just oh we got to protect chris paul's right to sweep his arms way to his right 90 at a 90 degree angle from the basket 75 feet from the hoop no there's no reason that that move should be rewarded or protected under any circumstances and it's just it's bad basketball like nobody nobody enjoys that shit other than chris yeah other than chris um the phoenix apparently has stolen the their pa announcer has stolen the uh, after a three-pointer uh, they'll say like mikhail bridges for one two three trying to get the crowd to count with them denver was doing has been doing that for like 10 years and i don't know especially given the fact that uh you know suns and four happened for phoenix to be stealing that from denver it seems a, a little weak um gary payton the second had an unbelievable tip dunk oh yeah um i thought that the warriors generally out hustled the suns particularly in the first quarter that chris paul was mic'd up saying that they're getting out competed which i i think was correct at least early 
early on. The Warriors managing, I mean, you, I said it, that Steph was plus 24. The Warriors managing to even remotely keep afloat with some of these lines. It was Chris Chioza, Quindary Weatherspoon, Juan Toscano Anderson, Draymond, and Nemanja Bielitsa. Having Bielitsa out there is so key in those lineups to just have someone who can even remotely hold up in some of the big man stuff. I mean, he's not great at it, but they figured out a way to avoid having him have to be in space on the pick and roll. He can actually semi-compete down low and actually has more length than you expect and can protect the rim a little bit. Defensive rebound, okay. As long as he doesn't have to defend a pick and roll in space, he can be acceptable. But just his spacing that he provides, the ability is passing ability to attack the basket a little bit, although that part of his game hasn't gone as well. You kind of want him to just gun some of these threes a little bit more than he does. But that enables them to get away with some pretty crappy offensive groups when stuff is off the floor, just having him out there and providing more space for some of these guys. Um, JaVale McGee in the game when Steph Curry is in the game, you damn well better just hope that you're going to outscore him. And at the start of the fourth quarter, when Steph was in against JaVale, they just completely carved up the Suns. That's when Steph really got going. The other thing I would say is that if you are guarding Steph Curry in an ISO and you don't have elite physical tools like Mikhail Bridges, you need to not let him go left because his move now is the drive left, uses size, and then step back hard even further left once he's gotten inside the arc. That is how he gets open for a lot of his step backs. And he's making all these now. But and also, by the way, he's getting very close to traveling on some of these. I, I'd have to go back and watch some of them, but they are, it's not as ironclad on the footwork as Harden is. He's really just kind of hopping away with two feet sometimes and then taking like another little shuffle. I think referees might want to look at that. I'll, I'll have to look at it more closely too, but he's he's not quite as high on that. But in any event, if you, you need to send him right because he's going to his right, it's much harder for him to step back for the three-pointer than if he goes left. And if he drives, he drives. Like that's, a, that's okay. You want him to get inside the arc the shot that you cannot give up is that step back to his left because you, nobody can help you on that yeah i think i think that's a, a really fair point it's figuring out your goals and, and your objectives and it, it i mean there are times that it's clear and there are times that it's not it seems like at this point in his career it seems like a time that it's a little bit clearer and if you need to give up some of that other stuff to the right so be it and then finally there were a lot of possessions when bridges was on the floor where he just didn't even match up with steph initially i'm not sure that they were trying to save him and he and bridges had a really nice offensive game but I don't, I don't know whether they're trying to save him or just it's the regular season or what, but they certainly, with their minute totals, acted, I mean, 40 minutes for Booker, 38 for CP, 38 for Bridges, acted like this game really mattered. So I'm not sure why it was that they had a bunch of possessions where Payne was on or they just kind of matched up whoever in transition. I'd be interested to look at the matchup data compared to that first game. I think Bridges spent much less time. And part of that's a Golden Six credit, of course. And then I might think about playing Cam Johnson over Jay Crowder at the end of games in this matchup you start Crowder but if he's still struggling to stay with Steph the way that he was in this one I might feel more comfortable about Johnson or at least you just get a little better shooting and the ability to do something off the dribble which Crowder doesn't really provide at all anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down I highly recommend Inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding I got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like 
you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Let's talk another really fun game here. And that was Celtics and Milwaukee. What do you got on that one? Stop me if you've heard this before, but before the game, not sure if Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to play. Not sure if he plays, how how capable he is going to be. This time it was because he had been in the COVID protocols, had missed five games before this one. And then after this, this the Celtics went up 109-96, Tatum hit two free throws to put him up to put him up 13 with 5.28 to go. Giannis just took this game over. Yeah, it was a ridiculous closing push for the I mean, under six minutes to go down 13, you basically got to play a perfect game. And they did. They ended up outscoring them 21 to four down the end. Not only was Giannis unbelievable, what were his stats over that last bit? If you have it over the last 528, Giannis. 12 points, four rebounds, one assist, one block, plus 15. Yeah, he was outstanding and got out in transition a a lot, got to the basket, got free throws in the second. I mean, his whole second half actually was pretty crazy. And what did he have, 29 in the second half? 29 and eight, yeah. And then I also thought Drew Holiday finally woke up. Uh, he He's always just a, you know, a solid defender, and he wasn't terrible in this game up until the end. But I thought at a minimum, he was not playing with his normal level of intensity defensively. There were a couple of times where he just got beat one-on-one. There was Jason Tatum hit a step back in his face, but that was after just very little pressure from Holiday. You, know, you would think Holiday would say, hey, Tatum's not that fast. He doesn't have the greatest handle. I'm a great pressure guard. I'm going to get up and pressure him in half court. He wasn't really doing that. There's a couple of times when Jalen Brown was able to just get wide open against him one-on-one. Also, a couple of pretty lazy closeouts from Holiday. Just not the same level of intensity you expect from him when he's at his best. But then he had three great plays in the last five minutes. All of them attacking Brown or Tatum when they got too focused on shooting. Um, Tatum turned his back to goal on a couple of plays. Holiday stole it, including the play. Oh, that rip where, move was wild. Like when yeah, Tatum, where, Tatum tried to spin and Drew Holiday's like, nah, nah. Yeah, and and so he just knew that Brown and Tatum are not great passers. Those guys had some moments as passers in this game. I thought Jalen Brown had a very nice passing first quarter, but there were also a number of plays where those guys, ironically enough, often when each other was the one who was open, because Holiday was guarding one of them and went and double teamed the other, just knowing that those guys were not great passers. And, you know, Tatum, I thought his decision making around the basket and his finishing was really bad in this game. He missed the bunnies that he's been struggling to hit all year and even, you know, going back a couple of years too. But it's been a real problem this year. And you just, you can't go for a lazy spin move in the lane up to like that with 40 seconds left and expose the ball. And then Drew Holiday gets the steal. Giannis came down. Robert Williams got an 
unbelievable block. That was amazing. Yeah. Uh, to sprint that down. It was a great play, but the ball came right off the backboard out to Wes Matthews and Wes Matthews hit the three that put the Bucks up by one and gave them the lead that they would not relinquish. Another place, another place for this we've seen, you know, you and I did an NBA cast with these two teams pretty recently and the Milwaukee math problem talked about ad nauseum and Boston only took 15 shots in the restricted area in this game. They did get to the line 24 times. A lot of that was was Tatum. Tatum and Brown, I think, had more than half of their free throw attempts, but not getting a ton of shots around the basket. And a lot of times what the Bucks were conceding was an open Marcus Smart three. And he ended up three of 10 from the field from sorry, three of 10 from three, six of 14 from the field. And generally the bet there is that it's not only that you're going to force harder shots, but also that you can have have guys in passing lanes make other things more difficult for Boston. Yeah, now Boston played well throughout most of this game. I mean, you consider Agreed. their own COVID absences to even be in position. This, you know, Giannis, yes, he could only play 30 minutes. He was on a minute's limit coming back from the COVID protocols, but clearly once he ramped up, he was playing at an extremely high level with 36 points in 30 minutes. And you know how well the Bucks have played when the big three have been available. Boston beat them in that circumstance earlier, that game we did for the NBA cast. Middleton went out, but Boston already had a pretty decent lead at that point but yeah boston was playing without josh richardson and horford and grant williams who have very important roles to play in this specific matchup and his freedom and bruno fernando and yeah schroeder was is in the protocols now too um you know i mean the three guys who played off the bench for this team were jabari parker just came back from the protocols and jabari parker actually had a very nice stretch at one point and then Juancho hernan gomez just back from the protocols and peyton pritchard who actually had 16 points and could finally hit a shot in 30 minutes but that was that was basically the their team and and the core four starters all played 37 or more minutes uh, as well those guys are going to be start wearing down a little bit you know robert williams that's it is very encouraging to see robert williams be able to play 39 minutes uh, i just hope he doesn't come down with another nagging injury very well and, and not only for 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 the capacity to play that many minutes but also that he was had a lot of responsibilities defensively and didn't foul out yeah no that and i thought the celtics in the half court did a pretty decent job on Giannis when they had most of their guys out there particularly in the first quarter I thought their plan was pretty good if they gave up a switch then they were trying to front force the lob into Giannis and then they would bring someone from the baseline who would be there in the time it took the ball to get lobbed over that worked pretty well they had pretty good size they were comfortable with Brown or Langford or Tatum being on Giannis they even when Giannis was at center they did not put Rob Williams on Giannis they hit him out on West Matthews some and I thought Williams made some really nice plays coming over affecting Giannis I think he stopped him at the rim three or four times uh coming over to help I thought Williams overall had a pretty decent game in this one he also had a absolutely ridiculous tip dunk over Giannis as well after mm-hmm. Giannis blocked his alley-oop like he did the one on DeAndre Ayton earlier but Williams got his revenge on both I think it was Portis and Giannis at the same time might have been Cousins uh what oh. else did you, did you okay this one? so Boston dropped that 35 point first quarter Jalen Brown was a big part of that and then bought and then Milwaukee responded by a significant amount of zone yes and they really committed to it as well now they've been playing a lot of zone bud will go that way when the team has a bunch of guys in the protocols or it's just a game where he's giving everyone a rest even going going back to a game against the thunder in 2019 that thunder needed for playoff positioning and they just played two three zone with oh god i can't remember who the point guard was that that was on that team oh tim frazier and they did it on both a make and a miss though in the second and boston was shooting it reasonably well throughout most of the game they cooled off a lot late that 
that's part of why they only had the 19 points fourth Tatum in particular had some pretty good looks fourth that he just couldn't knock down um and I was a little bit surprised to see them do that maybe against some of the more limited Celtics lineups that don't have great shooting I think they really wanted to kind of bait smart into taking some threes but even when they had some of their best guys out there they went to it it worked reasonably well they got kind of back into it they trailed by as many as 18 in the second and were able to close the gap throughout most of the second but then let go of the rope a little bit to trail by 15 at halftime and should have been down by 18 at halftime on a play we'll talk about but you know it's it's not a zone that i love i mean it's again it's kind of that math problem issue but you can basically are going to get an open wing three and that's why pritchard was so important with that especially if he could step behind the line all you had to kind of do was activate the zone and then throw the ball to pritchard on the wing and he was able to get a wide open three and so boston did a pretty good job i thought of getting open shots against that and the bucks stay in it through the first half of the third quarter and then they just took it off and never went back to it again (laughs) it was it was kind of interesting actually well and they had they had plenty of time to do it off of makes in that third quarter when they dropped what was that was it 43 yeah 43 on the Celtics three points yeah and and it was you know at halftime I think it was nine to 23 three-point shooting for the Celtics and five to 17 for the Bucks so you knew that the Bucks were gonna you didn't know but you assumed that the Bucks would shoot better and the Celtics would shoot worse and the Bucks could get back into it which is what happened but then the Celtics had that great response to go up by 13 and that and that was the big that was the big Jabari Parker run yeah Parker it looked like he was the Bucks were going to get revenge upon him in the first and it was tough for Parker coming out of health and safety pro calls has been the rotation playing center defensively paired with Juancho Hernan Gomez just really difficult to get stops but hilariously they went on a run with him he had I think nine points in a row hit a couple of threes had a great steal tracking back in transition on a pass to the corner and then it was able to get a follow after he got that steal in transition so good to see Jabari out there I think he's not really a playoff player but especially considering some of the players have been signed he, he can give you something here um what did you think uh we saw Dante DiVincenzo make his debut any thoughts uh, on him or how he changes what this Bucks team is trying to do he looked he definitely looked rusty to me but I like DiVincenzo better defensively than Grayson Allen and Allen I, I think he might be more of a I'd have to look at some of the numbers on it but I think sometimes if Allen is a more natural shooter like maybe he's a little bit more versatile jumper but DiVincenzo can do more with the ball in his hands and I think he's better defensively so to me even though this wasn't his best game and this this was a game when Grayson Allen struggled I think overall it was a reminder to me that the Bucks best lineups if they need to play either of the two gentlemen which at this point they do maybe they'll add somebody at a different point DiVincenzo is the one I like better yeah I agree and Allen was a total non-factor in this game I thought he, he had a couple of plays where he just g- gave up a pretty easy backdoor that, that didn't look good but Boston does a pretty nice job of limiting from the perimeter and they went to what I thought may eventually end up being their best lineup especially if Brooke Lopez can't return of the big three DiVincenzo and Connaughton but that lineup actually did not do that well at the end of the second quarter by the way the stats against the zone according to Synergy in in 16 half court sets against the zone the Celtics only scored on four possessions and that all that all happened in the second I'm that surprises me actually I I recalled Milwaukee going zone in the third as well but that is not currently logged by Synergy so maybe my memory was wrong or maybe they logged it wrong but uh you know Chris Middleton I think he's going to need to play better for this Milwaukee team to get to where they need to be uh and be a good offense at the end of game particularly if it's a 
against a team where Giannis just can't overwhelm them physically and you know if or if it's not a team that Drew can overwhelm physically and Middleton he's coming off of that knee sprain where it caused him to miss a couple but he's just not having the greatest year overall we didn't really see him attacking much in the post now might still be dealing with the, his knee thing yeah yeah and and also the Celtics are a team that does a lot of switching they're, they're really there's only one guy they played Pritchard who they could attack in the post and Pritchard is a pretty big defensive liability for Boston I think that's the bigger problem for him in some of these matchups than the fact that he hasn't been able to hit anything until tonight but yeah Middleton I both on his isos and the pick and roll game I think he definitely is going to need to be more of a force you know he hit some huge shots last year but overall in the playoffs his numbers were not that great and I'm still in the position of wondering a little bit about this Bucks offense in the playoffs although if Giannis can continue to his free throws well enough that maybe quells some of the concerns yeah. and by the way Giannis 10 of 15 from the stripe in this one I think that's about all I have on this one. Do you have anything more? Yeah, let me see if I have a couple other... Oh, the quick two at the end. Oh, yeah. Yeah, please. Boston, down three, gets... they So they have the they have it, and they, basically it seemed like, and I, I completely support the two, is Milwaukee basically just conceded, they conceded the two, down three, and the, that possession started with... Well, well they, they didn't like, concede it in the end. They were trying to no, run them off the line. Well, no, they, try, like, they, they, were, they were saying, we'll give you an easier two in exchange for you not taking a three let's put it that way well and, i i actually thought on the play that tatum could have just taken the step back over i think west matthews and yeah you know, that, that's a, true i he he only looked drive so i kind of assumed drive was the only thing there but he might have had that i hadn't thought of it that yeah, way i i thought he did and you know all right that wouldn't have been a shot that you would think of as a good shot at another time in the game but down three with 17 seconds left so instead he drives two on one with him and Robert Williams versus Giannis he drops it off to Robert Williams who is one of the quickest jumpers in the NBA by the way Williams goes up for the dunk and Giannis blocked him again it was just it was an unbelievable play by Giannis and then even Mike Budenholzer had to challenge the wrong out of bounds call because Budenholzer is notiriously stingy with the challenges but he had to use it on that one it was a good challenge they were able to then get, get the, the ball, ball and then it was basically and, over but Boston right. could have had a chance to fire something off with a yeah. baseline out but, of bounds play but instead but again the reason you don't go for the quick two obviously i mean the probably would say even the number one reason you don't go for the quick two even more so than that hey you're not if you don't know that you're ever gonna have a chance to tie if you go for that quick two or you'll just be right back down three most likely with less time it's just that the quick two is not you know it's probably maybe you make it 60 percent of the time yeah and it's just so it's not all right if you could just if you literally could snap your fingers be like yes we have a hundred percent chance at a two right now that would change the math on it completely and that of course is how everyone thinks about it but it's not you know you maybe have a 60 percent chance of scoring on, on that and Giannis showed you exactly why that that isn't good they also I thought ran a nice play down one after the Matthews three for Jalen Brown going one-on-one -on -one against Wes Matthews and he got a very good look Wes Matthews competes pretty hard like he's not going to get killed and I thought he was a good signing for the Bucks and that he can contribute for them and he should have had a job already I mean actually the Lakers probably would have been pretty yeah. good on the Lakers frankly uh I mean he was he was in games for them last year in that Phoenix series, but they elected to go another direction. And but Brown was able to drive, pull up on the baseline, got a pretty good look, just didn't go down. I mean, that could have given him the lead, totally changed the game. And what did you make of Bud's closing lineup going with the big three and then George Hill and Matthews rather than Connaughton uh, or a big and or and DiVincenzo probably wouldn't have closed just because, yeah, DiVincenzo, I don't think he was quite ready yet. I mean, Matthews having a, somebody who's a more capable defender and Boston would they do a fair amount one-on-one -on -one? so like Matthew having a guy who can hold his own I think is reasonable 
Hill, I, I'm I'm kind of less certain on it, but part of Bud's challenge right now is just there isn't anybody who's saying, I'm playing so well, this is just gonna sort out the problem for you. So I'm I'm fine with Wes Matthews, a little bit less enthusiastic about George Hill. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen maybe Connaughton there just to get a little more defensive versatility. It's it's not like you need George Hill like his his ball handling or something in that lineup, but he's yeah. not doing a lot. And he hit every shot imaginable. It, it, was that two years ago? But that's not every year. Yeah, that was. It was a George Hill is a security blanket. Obviously, I think Connaughton didn't play the greatest in this game. But I, I just I love the way that Pat Connaughton is shooting the ball just generally this season, and the way that he has sped up his release, where he's just catching it at his chest and going right up in two seconds on some of these corner threes that look really good. Um, empty out the notebook a little bit here. Jalen Braun played with a chipped tooth that looked pretty rough after getting elbowed by his own teammate, and I, I don't know how much that affected him i mean he might he might have gotten clocked to the point where he was a little woozy and but he had 14 points in the first and then really was not able to get going after that uh you know watch your and gomez again i mean we, this has been the case for a long time we were very high in him early and then he just I mean, he's probably a worse player now than he was as a rookie and a big part of that to me is just that he's not strong with the ball and whether that's around the rim rebounding where he used to be really good he's not that good at that anymore he just he doesn't really see to play with much toughness in addition to the fact that he hasn't developed as well as a shooter as we would have liked and he also made what i thought was one of the key plays of the game they're up 18 jalen brown is all over chris middleton and then with two seconds left hernan gomez sees something i don't know what it was maybe oh. he just thought his man was going back door but he just he's guarding the guy him. in the corner corner of his hill he just runs towards the basket chasing after a complete phantom and Middleton had nowhere to go and then he just oh George Hill's wide open right in front of me in the corner and he'll hit a three to cut it to 15 at halftime and that obviously ended up being a, a huge play just a really a really weird mistake and all right I think that's all I got uh, on this one Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Well, and I, I don't yeah. think we need to spend a ton of time on Hawks Knicks. Thankfully, with the two games that immediately followed it, we got competitive, fun Christmas Day games. And I, I thought that for me, you could see it even at the outset, that Hawks Knicks was one that was truly shaped by the protocols. And that Atlanta, it's not only the quality of the players that they had out, it's that it was almost all of their best offensive players, the players who generate the advantages for everyone else. And so right now in the protocols for them, not the fullest, but the, the some of the key ones, Trey Young. Lou Williams, Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, and Gallo. And so with all of those guys unavailable, you have a lot more play finishers, and they're not necessarily even the greatest play finish. John Collins is wonderful, but outside of that, and Bogdanovich, you know, he had a couple of moments, but he can't create that volume. DeLon Wright can't create at that volume. And it, I thought, I thought that it was a, it was an offensive failure more than a defensive triumph for the Knicks overall. Though, I mean, good to see the Knicks have a successful defensive game. Yeah, it was Knicks led pretty much throughout by double digits in the second half. Hawks got back within six at one point early in the third, but then just went cold again midway through the, the that quarter when the Hawks were able to get back into it. They were shooting forty percent from three, but twenty nine percent on twos, and they eventually bumped that up to 40 percent in garbage time thought mitchell robinson had another really nice game we mm -hmm. talked about him in that pistons game that we did earlier in the week he continued to be a presence uh, around well, the basket well and encouraging for the knicks to have a 
good defensive game around the rim when Nerlens Noel was not available. Now, Clint Capella also had just returned from the protocols. He clearly was not anywhere close to 100%, didn't have his usual impact. I thought the biggest thing for the Knicks was that Julius Randle was able to get going from the outside because we've seen that he tries to attack John Collins in this matchup one-on-one. That doesn't really work. But once he was able to hit a couple of threes, he's able to pick and pop with Kemba and he hits a couple out of there. Then the Hawks started rotating guys over. He was able to set up Quentin Grimes in that decisive run in the third quarter a couple of times. Grimes also just back out of the protocols, but looked pretty good. I mean, he's he's got pretty good size and that jumper is pretty nice and he plays hard. So I, I think he's got a pretty nice future. Number 25 overall pick out of Houston. RJ Barrett was back for the Knicks as well. He didn't do a ton in this one. Kemba played a crap ton of minutes. He had 44. He, ba- he barely he sat the, in the first three quarters. Yeah, he played 31 of the first 36 minutes. And I would, my guess would be, in addition to just the fact that the starting lineup wasn't working, that some of Tibbs' frustration with Kemba was having to rest him on back-to-backs because of his knee. And now Kemba is playing a ton of minutes. He ran out of gas in the 44-point game. They actually lost to the Wizards without Bradley Beal in that one. And it was certainly awesome that Kemba's able to play this way and then he got the ridiculous triple double he had to, had to get that tenth <laughs> wouldn't have had a good game with that. Oh I, I was glad that they at least uh, his teammates were in the giving spirit and the even the mic'd up from julius randall indicated that they were all well aware that he needed the 10th rebound I, th- I thought uh jalen johnson had a couple of intriguing moments moving his feet defensively he's been able to get out there a little bit for this hawk scene with everyone in the protocols skylar mays not being able to hit a jump shot not exactly the most encouraging in the world yeah I mean, he has some shooting potential but yeah oh he, he does he just didn't in this game. yeah it's not amazing and, and the hawks had seven points in the final eight 27 of the third quarter and the game was basically over uh they did the hawks did once randall started killing them and picking pop they decided to just start switching and that worked a little bit better kemba kind of struggled to beat guys one-on-one there uh taj gibson had an above the break three that was exciting uh and i this has been an intriguing stretch here they haven't had great playmakers and john collins is still a pretty valuable player and he's very efficient but he has not been able to really boost the hawks in this stretch with trey young out bogdanovich was terrible at 2 of 12 in this game as well so just not not a great game good to see the knicks getting back into it we'll talk more about the impact of the derrick rose injury yeah on a, a future oh, Nate, news segment I'm i sure. thought you'd appreciate this taj gibson did not attempt a three-pointer in the month of november he took a couple before that he has now taken eight in seven games in december fred talked about it because he had he took like i think he took three or four of them against the rockets yeah and he needs to because he's actually been playing at the, the four a fair yeah. amount it's now obviously tons of protocol issues here for the Lakers. They have LeBron and Westbrook. They have a few wings, but still missing, obviously, AD with the knee injury. And Trevor Ariza is in the protocols now as well. So they're definitely down quite a bit. Nets did get James Harden, Bruce Brown, and DeAndre Bembry back out of the protocols. This is the first time they've played. They've had their last three games postponed. And Harden was able to get out of the protocols yesterday, fly with the team to LA, and then play. 39 minutes and he clearly ran out of gas late not really his fault and he was dominant up until that point patty mills was was unbelievable as well in this one what else i mean and then lebron had a great performance also well and i I think that's where i want to start is you have this juxtaposition of lebron james truly elite floor raiser especially in that fourth quarter i mean he was not not only when he wasn't scoring he was typically the one setting up his teammates a couple of 
of absolute yeah. dimes during that stretch. And he was typically their highest leverage defender. He was doing a lot of work there. And overall line, 39 points, 14 to 25, nine, re- nine rebounds, seven assists, only three turnovers, and notably plus 11 in a game his team lost by seven, 112, sorry, 122, 115. So LeBron, elite floor raiser, made a huge difference by giving players easier shots. His star teammate who was available, less so. Yeah, the it was a 20-point game after the third, and the Lakers go on a 17-0 run to get right back into it as the Nets struggled mightily. They scored a little bit down the end. They also were aided by six extra free throws in fouling time. Yes. But Russ was, I mean, his line is just insanely bad. Although he did have a good game statistic, but... Uh. Well, yeah, I mean, you have, you have a triple-double, obviously. Well, and I don't know if you, did you see the hilarious tweet from Seth about basically was this idea somebody asked him about like how bad would a performance have to be to be like a bad triple double and the line he threw out was four of 17 or something from the field and a mess of turnovers and at one point in the game Westbrook was four of seven from the field with a mess of turnovers it's just like just impressive actually only had three but he still had some yeah what what were the the final numbers on Westbrook 13 points on four of 20 from the field oh for three from three and I think in some ways the most stunning part of his line Russell Westbrook this is, was this is absolutely stunning Russell Westbrook was four of 15 in the restricted area what now he had like a few offensive rebounds where he went back up and got blocked he got blocked by James Harden a couple of times he also I, got blocked by the rim defense. in the last minute of the game <laughs> Yeah. Thus leading yeah. Vince Sprite, Goodwill. I was Sprite so pleased getting with some it. Free Vince, advertising. Vince Goodwill, Vince Goodwill being, oh, Rust Drake Sprite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was a common tweet. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's insane to but, be. And, and, and I think, yes. And then negative 23 in 37 minutes. When Le- so he's, they're outscored by 23, min- 23 points in Russ's minutes and plus 11 in LeBron's 40, considering the amount of overlap. And I think that tells part of the story. But in some ways for me, and this is something you and I talked about, you highlighted this on Twitter as well. Yes, the box score and the efficiency stats are are really troubling with Westbrook. But one of the other flaws that he has, I thought, really came to the forefront late in the game as well, brought up the, the missed dunk. And yeah, that's going to happen. That's not like it's not a huge. It, it was more amusing than I think like significant. But I think the play, I think it was a little bit before that was more telling. And that was. But, well, that, that missed dunk was very significant because they were down three in the last minute sure. of the game. Yeah, I guess that's true. No, but what I, I was referring to that, that's a, a thank you for bringing that up. But the play I'm referring to is the Nets weren't generating a ton of great shots later than that huge Claxton and one. And they're getting late in the shot clock. Russell Westbrook helps without helping off of Patty Mills, who has already made, I think it was at that point, six or seven three-pointers seven in the game. The time, yeah. And Patty Mills drills the corner three to put the Nets up. And it's just, it's like, it's helping without helping. It's like, it's not like he was showing these like incredible instincts and was just making a play that he saw and made something happen. No, he just helped off the strong side corner, made an easy pass. And then no, he didn't even help. Three. He just stopped Stood moving with, yeah. Pat, with Patty Mills in the corner. And then it's like, oh, like he just had no idea where Patty, Patty Mills has gone. Like you just like you, what you're supposed to do as a defensive player is just be constantly turning your head so you can see man and ball. And it just his technique was, was atrocious. And that, that happens all the time. He was also really bad guarding James Harden as well that that's the matchup they started off with but Russ is just so irresponsible about executing which direction you're supposed to send him Harden was rejecting the screen all the time on him which was that is just an absolute
absolute killer when you're playing an aggressive pick and roll coverage with the big a lot of the time and it's it's not all his fault but it was no coincidence that the lakers run abated when russell westbrook came back in the game and i think you and i actually have a watfo about how many playoff crunch times will westbrook not play and you know could be play in crunch times at this rate as the lakers are now two games under 500 and have gotten completely destroyed in three games in a row at home against teams that shouldn't have just been i mean the phoenix game yeah but the spurs and this nets team are not shouldn't just be killing them like they they basically the only reason the lakers got back into this game was because harden was coming out of the COVID protocols and just was exhausted after three quarters otherwise they would have had no chance to get back into it yeah and that's with Uh, a wonderful lebron james performance right i mean and LeBron has has been as good as he possibly can be these last three games against the Sun, Spurs, and Nets. But but back to Russ, yeah, I mean, it's just we may see him not play down the stretch just the same way that they finally are like their backs against the wall against Drummond. I mean, he'll he'll still play, but he may they may just leave him on the bench if they're in the middle of a run in the fourth. And yeah, I mean, this was he's had better games lately. This is his worst game, maybe even of the season. Although there are some mighty fine contenders for that list. Uh, you know, Russ now Russ was his passing was pretty good in this game overall. Yeah. He was a big part of why the LeBron at center post-ups were working the Nets were doing a lot of switching and LeBron rolling to the rim getting deep post-ups and seals he got to the foul line a ton so he had a very impressive performance other than a couple of times he tried to ISO on Nick Claxton and that didn't go that well when he quick attacked on Claxton and was able to get into the lane and get into Claxton's body and knock him backward that was a it looked better so LeBron is continuing to look good I mean the rest rest of team though Danny rest of team has not been good what else do we need to talk about in this one James Harden getting fouled and getting to the basket. So Harden, 13 to 17, not all of those free throw attempts were generated by drives, to be abundantly clear. But getting to the basket beyond those fouls nine times, eight floaters don't don't necessarily love that. But also, of course, his drives are are often setting up teammates. And so I, I thought it he looked he looked good overall. And when you consider that Harden was just coming out of the protocols, it was much better than I had anticipated slash feared because you knew he was going to have a heavy workload. Yeah, and he started off looking really good and really fresh he was getting the best he's getting more calls by the mm-hmm. way too i mean there there are a few of those already beats the guy the guy's on him he picks the ball up sometimes it's a non-shooting ball at the free throw line on kind of a non-basketball move when the guy's out of position and they're actually giving him that call again recently which they weren't for a stretch at the very beginning now not like the nets have someone or, or, or i'm sorry the lakers had anyone who could really guard him they finally went to stanley johnson who did a very nice job in isolation uh, and but it was also helped by the fact that Harden by that point was so tired that he couldn't even like run a pick and roll early in the possession to even get a switch of onto with all of the Lakers subpar defenders or could even run a pick and roll at Carmelo Anthony like he just he had to just stand there and rest for 15 seconds with the ball before he could try to attack Johnson late in the clock but yeah I thought he had the step back working pretty well and the Lakers were just so small the Lakers started Dwight played in the first six minutes and then he never came back and they didn't play any other center at DeAndre's been terrible for them lately and they i guess they felt like the nets were playing so small though the nets i actually think they could have gone with bigs against the nets because yeah, they're, they're not going to kill you on it yeah you know just put put them on deandre bembry or something like that or you know i mean the, the uh, nets have to play so many one-way players right now just due to who is available you can get away with it no i think so um but harden was able to get to the basket and finish a lot because the lakers just didn't have the rim protection early when he was feeling the explosion and then mills i mean patty mills the nets don't run enough stuff for him they ran more they should have run even more actually in the fourth when Harden was so exhausted they ran one play
play for him and he got double teamed and set up Bruce Braun for a nice little floater but Patty Mills is one of the best guys moving off the ball in the whole league I mean this was this is really a career game for Patty yeah it really was um I'm looking at it in terms of game score which is not always the greatest proxy ever but I mean the contenders for this he dropped 30 he dropped 32 7 and 4 against the against the Hornets years ago he had a big game against the Warriors in I think that was in the first round of the playoffs maybe a couple and in 2012 um, but yeah, the, the, you could make an argument that this is one of Patty Mills' best performances of his career. Final line, 34 points, 7 assists, 8 of 13 from 3, 11 of 17 overall. Yeah, and also the 7 assists was big. He was able to use his shooting gravity, and his off-ball movement really caused problems for the Lakers. Now, the Lakers' defense is just... Ugh. And yeah, I mean, they, they've the only guy who was playing in this game that's not part of the regular roster was Stanley Johnson. Uh, no, I guess that's... Uncall- they play, they play calls to you who doesn't really look ready he had three fouls including two fouls of three-point shooters and he just doesn't he doesn't look as in shape from a body composition standpoint as you'd like to see a, an ostensibly quick guard like him and but you know johnson actually defended pretty well but malik monk horton tucker carmelo i mean those guys russ there's those guys just all communicate poorly they can never figure out whether to switch whether to whether to get out on the shooter or not how to deal with that and so anything that Mills was doing again you mentioned this that they it's not like the nets have all these other threats here that you have to worry about you should be able to just handle the one guy who's coming off screens as a shooter and they just couldn't do that when they go down 20 at the end of the third this this is your unit down 20 at the end of the third collison monk carmelo russ and Horton Tucker. There's just, even with Harden out of the game, there's just no possible way you're ever getting stopped with that group against any kind of even reasonable NBA talent. So I thought they should have gone back to Dwight when LeBron was out. I mean, the LeBron at center stuff was working pretty well, but I think there's, again, the Nets had so little shooting, they could have gotten away with Dwight. They And just to have at least something, some above average defender, someone who can protect the rim a little bit, I, I or at least when Harden was out of the game, I, to, to say, all right we're gonna play Darren Collison instead of Dwight didn't really make a, a lot of sense to me on some of those backup units especially when you you use that backstop when you don't when you know you're gonna have messes to clean up and when you have Malik Monk and Mello and some of these other players you know you're gonna have messes to clean up and I that was it's been a real point of frustration for me with the Lakers team management overall and while Brooklyn you know Brooklyn was playing a lot of one-way guys I brought that up earlier and that gives the Lakers places to hide Dwight Howard and others the amount of one-way players that the Lakers are leaning on at as you mentioned not full strength I mean Davis is out and a couple others but they're playing players they intend to have as a part of it you know this wasn't a, like leaning heavily on Isaiah Thomas or something situation that is very concerning when you think about the threshold potentially that the Lakers if their goal is to even make noise in the championship picture it seems pretty clear that they're going to have to be doing that without home court advantage so they're going to need to be dominating team I thought Nick Claxton was awesome this has got to be yes. pretty close to a career high in minutes I would guess for him 32 he only played 13 minutes in the first and Blake Griffin played 11 and then Blake Griffin did not play a second in the second half he really struggled offensively and doesn't really give you much on the defensive end either I he basically I mean he was out of the rotation justifiably so before all the COVID stuff hit them but I mean it's getting to the point Danny where I would consider just trading him away for tax savings though they don't have any cash left so they might even be able to do that or just moving on from him towards the end of the year at this point i guess your only reason to hold on to him is 
a for appearances or b because you he defended Giannis reasonably well one-on-one but he just he can't hit a shot anymore he's doesn't have the same explosion that he had in his brief time as a net last year where he was actually able to go up and get a few dunks but Claxton going back to him five block shots three assists he wasn't that efficient he missed a, a few of those little hook shots but was very good in switching the Nets did a ton of switching in this game it, it looked pretty decent and really liked what he brought he was yeah, he had a, re- the most he had a recovery the he had a recovery block from behind on a floater by Mello that was really impressive oh yeah. and then to me though the the headliner was tie game Harden 45 seconds left Harden gets separation gets towards the basket throws up a lob that was off target oh my in my opinion and Nick Claxton catches it and dunks it and oh by the way halfway through it he gets bumped by LeBron James and still finishes the play so it goes from a tie game he hits the free throw Brooklyn up three maybe the single biggest play of the game yeah and then right after that was the miss Russ lefty dunk and then they were in a must foul situation after that no that was easily the biggest play of the game uh they're up five LeBron hits an impossible three from the top and then they set up Monk rolling to the basket for a layup that tied it under a minute left and Nash called a time out there I really like the play call because number one just get Harden a blow but number two everything with Harden on the dribble wasn't working so they inbounded it got Harden out of the corner on a handoff and then I think it was Claxton they had handoff that involved Carmelo Carmelo had to step up Claxton was able to get on top of the rim and LeBron came over he knew exactly what was happening but the pass from Harden was so good it was way to the right of the basket so LeBron had more ground to cover and then Claxton just detonated on him with the dunk it just a huge play and then he hit the free throw too it's a huge yeah. free throw as well to put him up three and let's see anything else we wanted to talk about here there, there, there were some let's call them eggnog heavy moments in this game like some weird transition plays and i mean we brought up the rust finishing and like then i don't think this was just like the game being drunk but like some of james harden's transition defense especially once he got his fifth foul was pretty impressive and by that i mean impressively bad of course well he actually i thought he was good as a help defender the first three quarters oh yeah oh totally i just once it got off the rails yeah well he actually he had one great play of transition defense which was to turn it over and then grab lebron james as the pass went out into space ahead of him okay what the hell is a clear path foul well well regardless i mean i'm not saying the referees got it wrong like they the interpretation is the interpretation i'm saying if that's not a clear path foul i don't know what it is well or and if your rule is going to be so narrowly narrowly tailored that that play where you've got lebron james running ahead of everyone out into space and harden just grabs him if that's not going to be a clear path just make nothing a clear path like don't subject us to these to the reviews. reviews if if it's just it applies in two percent of the cases to actually stop a fast break like just get rid of the rule entirely if that's if that's not going to be a clear path um let's see what else did i have here a couple other things yeah paul Millsap played six minutes in the first at the four didn't come back in in the second either there's still i think his best uses at center it seems like they just like james johnson better in that spot though and this may be about it for paul i think he's i would like to see him get to play a little bit of center with the memes though and see whether he can be helpful for them whether he could guard Giannis one-on-one I would be interested to see maybe whether he could just kind of take on that Blake Griffin role like he obviously has no explosion to finish around the basket but he could still pass a little bit he could still like try to post up on some smaller guy who's hiding on him I he may just be done we'll see and he he also is coming off of COVID as well but I, I would like to see him get more chances I know that the James Johnson has been okay they'd like to see more of him also and you know I do think that Stanley Johnson who is on, on a 10 day might be able to give the Lakers 
Lakers something just as far as playing hard, being a body on the wing. He's he's obviously really struggled to shoot in his career, but he can still defend it in isolation. That's about all he can do at this point. But hey, they could actually probably use that. And especially if they're playing LeBron at center all the time and they want to do more switching, his lack of shooting won't hurt them quite as much. And yeah, I think that's about all I got on this one. All right, just me here for the last game. Danny had to jump on a cross-country red-eye. Utah outlasts the Jazz 120-116. to 116. Obviously, a disappointing out- outing for Utah. Biggest thing that killed him was giving up 35 3 3 free throw attempts somehow to this Mavs team. Here's who's available for Dallas in this game. Frank Nilkina and Jalen Brunson starting in the backcourt. Sterling Brown at the three. Dwight Powell and Porzingis at the four and five. Oh, they really played Porzingis at the four pretty much the whole game until the end. And then your bench mob, George King just recently signed. Marquise Chris just recently signed. Brandon Knight back in the league just recently signed. Theo Pinson back in the league just recently signed. Charlie Brown Jr. was on, I think, a two-way with OKC last year. And then there were only available roster guy who played off the bench was Moses Braun who played it 11 minutes despite that I will applaud the Mavs for not playing anyone more than 36 minutes Jalen Brunson was plus four 27 points 10 of 25 from the field five of eight from the line he definitely would like to have some of those back though the Mavs were 30 to 35 overall six assists for him his game continues to blossom he's had over 20 points in in these games since Luca has been out despite a tough matchup against Gobert he's also starting to get a little bit of that cp3 grift he did the stop short at one point he's definitely starting to flop more i think give it another couple of years and especially if he becomes a starting point guard somewhere else and he's got the ball all the time he's going to be grifting for fouls which should be important actually for his overall efficiency but he just continues to look really good with his shooting ability had a couple of beautiful finishes over gobert obviously 10 out of 25 is not amazingly efficient in this game but he's their only guy who could do anything off the dribble on the team so i was pretty impressed and he's working his way still this has been an impressive stretch to say that hey maybe he should be a starting point guard the big question for the Mavs is going to be will it make sense to re-sign Brunson and have him be your second perimeter guy with Luka is he that good he had such a miserable playoffs last year against a, a tough matchup I thought that people were way too down on him as a result of that I think the way he's playing the the biggest extension the Mavs could give him right now which would be about 55 million over four years won't be enough and so then how is he going to fit in their salary structure they will have full bird rights on him but if they wanted to have salary cap space in the future signing him might make that difficult for utah it was basically the conley gobert plus bench minutes that saved them in this game started the second and started the fourth is when they made their big runs they had a 22 to 6 run after they were down 16 early that's really where the jazz dug themselves enough of a hole that this game was going to be close but give dallas a ton of credit for responding to that 22 to 6 jazz run in the second by staying close even led by nine with five minutes left in the third it was just an ugly game overall just a lot of weak fouls with the jazz taking 37 free throw attempts and the mavs 35 i was reminded of how happy i am that the nba has the lowest number of fouls called per field goal attempt that they have ever had in their history right now because there used to be a ton of games like this where teams would shoot over 30 free throws and this was really a bore 
and an aberration and then you just saw guys doing a ton of flopping to try and draw calls once it became clear that this was the type of stuff that this refereeing crew was going to be allowing real especially in the third quarter is when they decide oh we got to get control of the game and then there were a bunch of really bad foul calls always very interesting when these two teams match up is how the jazz are going to deal with chris Stapp's porzingis they have generally eschewed putting rudy gobert on him because they don't want to supercharge that pick and pop game for porzingis and the Mavs, for their part, they actually had Porzingis guarding the four. He was playing next to a big, whether it was Brown, Marquise Chris, uh, or Powell in the starting lineup, pretty much the whole way. And they had him guarding the four, usually Royce O'Neal, rather than being the primary pick and roll defender. And that actually didn't work too badly. It's not like Royce O'Neal was taking advantage of being guarded by Porzingis. He was one out of four in 29 minutes, negative 21. Then the end of the game became interesting because Dallas finally i mean they just you'd love to see more prosigas at center overall especially against the jazz but they the roster players that they had available were mostly big so they finally closed it out with brandon knight in there for dwight powell plus the starters and they had prosigas at center utah elected with no Luka Doncic to just put Gobert on Porzingis and then I don't know that they were switching everything but I think they were comfortable doing some switching because they had O'Neal on Brunson and so then O'Neal was the secondary Porzingis defender. Porzingis did a pretty nice job. He was 11 to 13 from the line. Problem is he just can't hit a three this year. If he were just doing his normal jump shooting he'd be having a really really nice season instead. His jumper looks really really flat this year. It always kind of has but Porzingis right now is at 28% from downtown, only taking five and a half threes a game too, which is not that many. So he's taking 10 twos a game, making 52% of them. And some of his post-ups against the like of, of O'Neal actually were not too bad. He was able to get fouled. He's shooting over guys a little bit. He's maybe gotten a little stronger to where he can work into position. He actually like backed down for a layup on one of these plays, guarded by a smaller guy, which you rarely see. It's always awkward for Porzingis because he can't get low and really move guys. He always looks like he's about to totter over in some of these matchups. But when you're seven three it doesn't have to look pretty every time but when the jazz went on a run to take care of things down the end putting gobert on brunson brunson did hit one tough step back but other than that i thought they did a pretty good job dealing with the mavs down the end it looked like utah was gonna run away with it down the end they're up 10 107 97 and then dallas gets eight points on two possessions brunson hits that step back over gobert and then gobert turns it over and committed a terrible clear path foul this one actually was a clear path and then frank nilakina hit two free throws followed by another Brunson three off a spot up the Mavs started running a pretty nice series where they had Porzingis up near the top of the arc and then they had two guards interacting with each other in a two guard front doing split cuts but way out top those guys could hand off with each other they could pop out Brunson got a open spot up three off of that which he was actually talked about with Jason Kidd before he went for that he slipped out of that action to get uh, the spot up three and then the next time he does a little fake DHO to the guard and then was able to turn the corner and get past uh, Gobert for a layup so Quinn Snyder had to call his use it or lose it timeout to figure out how to deal with, with that and they were able to figure it out afterwards 
couple smaller notes on this. Uh, Sterling Brown had an okay game. He just looks heavy, though. He doesn't look like he's cut up the way he needs to be at this point in time. Dallas also went with a reasonable amount of zone, which is not terrible against Utah. I don't think you want to give them too much of it, but they don't necessarily have a playmaker that they can get the ball to right at the free throw line in the middle of the zone, which is where these NBA zones in particular are really weak because the center can't just hang out in the lane and deal with that pass. Now, they do have really good off the dribble three-point shooters and so you can get an off the dribble three pretty much anytime you just set a screen against one of those guys in the zone at, at the top but that wasn't bad you know they, they did a nice job mixing that in particularly given how fatigued everyone was and that they had the two big guys out there i thought the jazz defense actually showed some better effort level and intensity the jazz had nine steals which is a lot for them donovan mitchell had three part of that was because when guys on the mavs would drive and get under the rim they just they don't have the chemistry with all these hardship guys in there and so they would gnash law on the baseline and then look for a cutter and no one was there and then they'd have to throw something that would end up getting intercepted and i think that's about all i have on this one utah managed to oh i guess the one thing i still need to talk about is the end of the game so jazz managed to get a couple of buckets mitchell gets a huge offensive rebound and and one they go up six with a minute left mavs call a timeout with a minute left you basically have two non-fouling possessions available if the other team runs the time down you should only have two possessions so of course they run a play for porzingis to get a mid post drive to the middle of the lane and hit a, a difficult probably a 35 percent shot from two over rudy gobert and now you've scored two points great it wasn't even a very good two-point shot and now the jazz can run the time down to where you can't possibly get a two for one except then bogdanovich comes off a screen and shoots like a not even really a wide open three with nine on the shot clock which is just a terrible decision because then the mavs could have gotten the two for one down four of course after he misses the Mavs don't call their timeout they had already used their last timeout but they should have used I think their last timeout to get the two for one there because it's just so important to not have to foul and to just be able to I mean obviously it's an impossible task to try and come back there but then they come down and after running probably too much clock Brunson comes off a pick and roll and Gobert doesn't switch it and they dodge a bullet with 29.4 left they still managed to get what might have been a two for one Bogdanovich gets the rebound and makes both free throws to put him up six then hilariously the Mavs don't take a three down six with 19.4 remaining so it was a pretty ugly end of the game in all respects really poor execution on both sides but they kind of canceled each other out and you ended up with a jazz victory so thanks again Merry Christmas hopefully some of y'all listen to it while it's still Christmas there I guess that's probably only people in Hawaii but really enjoyed all these games love to bring you guys dunked on and dunked on prime and we'll be back again tomorrow don't time prime listeners will get the second part of our top 10 prospects in the nba tomorrow and then that will actually be our second public dunked on pod this week of course you'll be getting it a few days late but that's okay we gotta let the prime subscribers get the drop on on y'all on the public pod talk to y'all soon reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.